Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I have no doubt that the Roswell case is a crash of an alien spacecraft. I'm convinced that something has been here before and that something may be here now. There is a cover-up. After many years of investigation, I'm certain that there is a cover-up as far as Roswell. Fifty years ago, something happened near the town of Roswell, New Mexico. That event, known as the Roswell Incident, has become synonymous with flying saucer crash, alien visitation, government cover-up, or many say a jump to conclusion and gross distortion of the facts. Hello, I'm Patrick McNee. Mention the name Roswell and chances are, no matter where you are, someone will have heard of it and most likely will have an opinion about the subject. In this program, we'll take a look at what is known about Roswell and what is still unknown, and we'll try to answer the question, what happened here and what does the government know about it? So why is everyone talking about Roswell? Well, above all else, Roswell has become something of a cultural phenomenon, a stampede of media attention fueled by fanatic fascination by a growing number of both skeptics and believers all coinciding with the 50th anniversary of the original incident. The result? Roswell mania. Since the late 70s, there have been dozens of books both promoting the theory of UFO crash and refuting it. There have been countless magazine articles, TV shows, movies, and a burgeoning presence on the internet. It seems that everywhere you look, there's someone saying something about Roswell. I believe that a flying saucer from uh, another planet crashed. I believe that um, a man and his son found debris. And I believe that uh, the government, the United States government, uh, acquired the wreckage and put it and its inhabitants in storage. That's what I think happened. In the city of the same name, the craze has grown into a cottage industry of its own. There are two UFO museums within city limits and a third just outside. 
UFO and alien-themed souvenirs are everywhere, and promotional campaigns and slogans sell every conceivable product and service. No one in this city of almost 50,000 people can remember anything like the extravaganza commemorating the 50-year anniversary. Rock concerts, lectures, and other special events are unprecedented here. Roswell has become an internationally known entity unto itself, all because of a single incident occurred half a century ago. The question is, why after 50 years are we still talking about Roswell? What is it about this story that so intrigues people and gives rise to such controversy? In 1947, something crashed in remote southeastern New Mexico. After the pieces of the wreckage were recovered, the army issued a press release saying it had captured a flying saucer, then almost immediately recanted the earlier statement and said it was nothing more than a downed weather balloon. Not until people who were there started to tell their stories some 30 years later did UFO researchers begin to piece together a story that has captured the imagination of people all over the world. I've actually read a lot of books about Roswell and uh, looked at all the evidence and I think that there was some sort of government cover-up and I'm pretty sure that something crashed there and it wasn't just a weather balloon. What we're talking about is a story of visitation by beings from another planet. Here on a mission of exploration perhaps, only to end up casualties. It is a story of our government deliberately concealing details of the incident, or the whole thing is a case of misrepresentation and outright fabrication. Something not made on this earth crashed in 1947. So we were uh, uh, quite amused that they misidentified our balloon for a flying saucer. I would say that I believe that there was an alien craft that crashed north of Roswell. I'm convinced beyond any doubt that what happened at Roswell was that a Project Mogul train of weather balloons, about 23 weather balloons, carrying several aluminum foil radar targets so it could be tracked, crashed on the ranch of a man known as Mac Brazel. General DuBose, who was the chief of staff of 8th Air Force in July of 1947, told us flat out that the balloon explanation was a cover story. With all the interest in the incident of 1947, it's easy to forget that Roswell is a real place, a real city with real people. Located in southeastern New Mexico, in the heart of Chavez County, Roswell sits in a semi-arid region 3,600 feet above sea level. The town was first established in the 1860s by traders who sold cattle to Navajo and Apache Indians. Cowboys were the dominant workforce in the region for decades. At the beginning of World War II, Roswell Army Airfield opened and became home to the 509th Bombardment Group, at one time the only atomic bomber wing in the world. Renamed Walker Air Force Base after the war, the airfield became a central part of the strategic air command system. Though the base closed in the 60s, the runways are still used for commercial flights, general aviation, as well as a considerable amount of aircraft testing. 
Ranching and agriculture have always played a big part in this area, and the same is still true today. Many other industries call Roswell home now, of course, and the city has come through the past 50 years with its eye on a future full of promise. Mostly, Roswell is just like any other small city in America. Well, almost. The story of the Roswell incident has been painstakingly researched, pieced together from public records and eyewitness accounts. The basic sequence of events which transpired here half a century ago is well documented and generally accepted as fact. Speculation aside, we have a pretty good idea of what happened and in what order. Let's go back a moment to early summer, 1947. Beginning in the month of June, there was an unprecedented wave of UFO sightings around the country. All over, people were reporting seeing strange, unidentifiable aerial phenomena. The army seemed to be at a loss to explain the observations. Army fighter planes are on patrol for flying saucers. The control tower is in touch and on the watch. So are a whole lot of people these days. They're seeing flying saucers everywhere. July the 4th in southeastern New Mexico was marked by some of the most violent thunderstorms on record. A ranch foreman named William Mack Brazel heard what he described as an odd sort of explosion. Researchers have since established the sequence of events that followed. On Saturday, July the 5th, while out riding horseback on the ranch, Brazel discovers a large quantity of lightweight metallic debris. The material was scattered over an area three-quarters of a mile long and several hundred feet wide. The following morning, Brazel makes the 75-mile drive into Roswell and reports his find to Chavez County Sheriff George A. Wilcox, who in turn, upon witnessing the debris himself, decides to notify the military authorities at Roswell Army Airfield. In the meantime, Wilcox speaks to Frank Joyce, an announcer for local radio station KGFL in Roswell, looking for anything newsworthy. The following day, Brazel escorts intelligence officer Major Jesse Marcel and Sheridan Cavett of the counterintelligence corps to the debris field. The two then gather and load up some debris and return to Roswell. The next day, Tuesday the 8th, Troops are deployed from the base to begin recovery at the debris field. By now, soldiers are already stationed at a second location some distance away, believed to have been an actual crash site. Colonel William H. Blanchard instructs Lieutenant Walter Hout to issue a press release disclosing that the Army has recovered the remains of a flying disc. That afternoon, the story hits the news wires and the phone lines in Roswell are jammed. Evening papers all over the West pick up the story. Also that afternoon, Major Marcel is sent with some debris to Fort Worth, Texas to meet with Brigadier General Roger Ramey. Ramey announces that the identification of the recovered debris as a flying saucer has been a mistake. And that it is actually nothing more than the remains of a downed weather balloon with attached radar reflector. The following morning, the Roswell Daily Record runs the revised version of the story. 
For a few brief hours, the lid was off on one of the most fantastic stories of human existence. Then suddenly, the lid was slammed shut. Two months later, Chuck Yeager would break the sound barrier and America would find itself taking the first small steps towards its own program to travel into space. Everyone moved on, and the wild flying saucer story was forgotten by all, except those who were there. 30 years would pass before troubling memories prompted some of those participants to start talking. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family vgw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus by now, almost everyone who has examined this case agrees that something did crash near Roswell. The question is, what? Was it, as the military claimed at the time, nothing more unusual than a downed weather balloon? Or could it actually have been some kind of craft from another planet? Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. Army officers say the missile, found sometime last week, has been inspected at Roswell, New Mexico, and sent to Wright Field, Ohio, for further inspection. Colonel William Blanchard of the Roswell Air Base refuses to give details of what the flying disc looks like. In Fort Worth, Texas, where the object was first sent, Brigadier General Roger Ramey says that it is being shipped by air to the AAF Research Center at Wright Field, Ohio. I have no doubt that the Roswell case is a crash of an alien spacecraft. No stranger to Roswell, investigator Kevin Randall first came to follow up on the reports that had intrigued others before him. Now, what we thought would happen is we would come down to Roswell, we'd spend three or four days down here, talk to the witnesses and discover the plausible explanation for it, blow out of town didn't happen that way. In fact, the first couple of days, it didn't go very well, but then we talked to Bill Brazel, the son of the man who found the debris field up near Corona, New Mexico. And once we talked to him, we realized there was much more to the story, that more had to be done. There were more people we needed to talk to. One of the pioneers of UFO research, Stanton Friedman, is generally credited with breaking the Roswell case after a TV station manager first told him of Jesse Marcel. Out of the blue, no previous connection, anything we'd talked about. He says, you know, the guy you ought to talk to is Jesse Marcel. Who's he? Oh, well, he handled pieces in one of these saucers when he was in the military. That got my attention, as you can imagine. As well, as he alive? Do you know him? Oh, yeah, he lives over in Homa. I had the faintest idea where Homa, Louisiana was then. I've been there since, of course. Uh, we're old ham radio buddies. Shortly before Marcel's death, Friedman 
was able to record an interview in which the former intelligence officer recollected the incident. One thing I was certain of, being familiar with all our activities, that it was not a weather balloon, nor an aircraft, nor a missile. It was something else of which we didn't know what it was. There were just fragments strewn all over the area, an area about three quarters of a mile long and several hundred feet wide. So we proceeded to pick up the parts. A lot of it had a lot of little members with symbols that to me I call them hieroglyphics because I could not interpret them, it could not be read. They were just like symbols of something that meant something. These little members could not be broken, could not be burned. I, I even tried to burn that, would not burn. See, that stuff weighs nothing. It's not any thicker than tinfoil in a pack of cigarettes. Says, I tried to bend this stuff. Says, it will not bend. Says, we did all we could to bend it. It would not bend. Says, we even tried making a dent in it with a 16-pound sledgehammer. He says, still no dent in it. Don Schmidt, co-author of UFO Crash at Roswell, along with Kevin Randall, is likewise convinced that the crashed object was a craft from space. We have over 500 witnesses testifying through sworn affidavit or video deposition that what was recovered out here at this site and at the debris field site just 40 miles from here was not manufactured on this earth. Walter Hout was stationed in Roswell in 1947. As the public information officer of the 509th, it was he who issued the press release. I got the information from uh, Colonel Blanchard. There had been uh, a number of newspaper and radio reports on flying saucers, and it really didn't upset me that much. I uh, if the boss man said that we had a flying saucer in our possession, we had one, and that was it. I was just told to put out a press release. Later that day, Hout remembers, the official story changed. They said it was a weather balloon, and that's it. Many people have challenged the weather balloon story, while at least as many have rejected the notion of a crashed UFO. The Air Force recently commissioned its own investigation into the enduring mystery and allegations of cover-up. Retired Colonel Richard Weaver is convinced something crashed in Roswell, just not a flying saucer. We found uh, in our study, our research on Roswell, that uh, ultimately the explanation that's the most plausible was that the debris that was found was from a uh, a project which in 1947 was classified top secret called Project Mogul, which was a high-altitude, constant-level balloon research project, which was designed to detect Soviet uh, military nuclear explosions, which were, we were unable to detect by any other manner during that time. Despite the conclusion of the Air Force's report, the story of something vastly different persists to this day. While no photographs of any crashed disc are obtainable, there have been a number of eyewitnesses who have spoken to investigators. Some of these individuals have been able to provide detailed descriptions of what they remember seeing. Sworn affidavits, hand-drawn sketches, and various documents have been obtained from a number of sources. We've probably, probably conducted between 2,500 and 3,000 interviews with 500 different people. 
And what we're talking about is not only people who, who saw some part of the story or who were in Roswell and knew part of the story, but who were family members, second-hand witnesses, if you will. My father told me this story. My uncle told me this story. One of those who was there was Glenn Dennis, employed by the Ballard Funeral Home. I got a call in the afternoon from a gentleman that called and said that he was a mortuary officer. And he was wanting to know if we, uh, how many, and if we had uh, some baby caskets, three foot, six or four foot long that were hematically sealed, airtight, you know, waterproof and all this. And I informed that we always kept a four foot. You want to know how many? And I said, one in the display, one in the storeroom. And he said, how long would it take to get more? And I said, hey, what's going on out there? What's your problem? And he said, well, we want to know how well prepared you are in case we should have an epidemic or something out here with the base children and all that. Bill McDonald is a forensic sketch artist who uses techniques employed by many police departments to create pictorial profiles of suspects. They brought me into the case for the specific purpose of reproducing the spacecraft and the bodies using forensic methodology standards that you would expect from either FBI or homicide detectives. I work with the witnesses directly. I do not redo their work. The ship at Roswell, as I said before, was not a disc. It was a stingray-shaped winged vehicle. It was 25 feet wide in wingspan by 28 feet in length and was covered from wingtip to wingtip and from the bow to the stern with a hexagonal beehive pattern of power cells that glowed when powered and provided uh, either anti-gravitational lift or electromagnetic fields that separated the ship from the ground. One of the most important witnesses in Roswell in 1947 was Major Marcel's 11-year-old son, Jesse Marcel, Jr. Marcel is a physician with a practice in Montana. My dad came into the house very excited. He wanted uh, my mother and myself to look at what he gathered up in the field off of a ranch northwest of Roswell. At that point, I was not quite sure what a flying saucer was, but I was sort of eager to see why he was so excited. I've lived with this for 50 years, and uh, again, I'm not sure what it was, but I do know what it wasn't. Uh, it does not fit the description of what the Air Force tells me a mobile balloon with this debris looks like. Marcel Jr. recalls the night his father brought home the strange pieces of debris. The material that uh, I saw on our kitchen floor that night did not fit the description of a weather balloon nor any kind of target device that would have been used for radar reflection. Uh, I was a little familiar with radio myself because I, I was with my dad as a ham radio operator and into this. And again, the it just did not fit the description of what I now know to be a radar target, nor a weather balloon, of course. Nevertheless, there have been skeptics who have called into question Major Marcel's ability to identify the materials back in 1947. Why he did not know that this was ordinary meteorological material uh, is simply explained by the fact that he didn't know what it was, that he had no prior experience, no knowledge of what it was, and so um, he simply uh, could not identify it. He used to bring some weather balloons home for me to play with, these big envelopes, and uh, uh, so what this was, is. There's no balloon component to the wreckage that we saw. 
and I guess uh, other people say that, well, it was a radar target. Well, he went to radar school to study radar uh, reflectors and things like that, and, and if it was that, he would have not even bothered to show it to us. The balloons that we used on the early June flights were made of neoprene. They were large-size uh, meteorological balloons of the sort that are used to carry radiosons uh, to measure temperature, pressure, and humidity in the upper air. The radar targets were some special pre-production models that uh, were left in stock at Fort Monmouth after the war, and they consisted of aluminum foil uh, laminated onto a fairly tough uh, parchment-like white paper, and they were deployed on sticks of balsa wood. Other parts of the debris were more unusual, though. There was some beams, and I recall them as being metal. Other people recall them as being wood, but my recollection is these were metal beams. Uh, I don't think they're wood because I very, was very familiar with balsa wood because I built balsa wood models all that time. There were markings on the uh, on the uh, radar targets, and the manufacturer uh, had to uh, use some tape, something like scotch tape, uh, to attach the reflective panels to the balsa sticks. And it appears that, he, that uh, the manufacturer used uh, some tape that happened to be on hand that had uh, some pinkish purple uh, flower-like designs, tulip uh, petal, little petal-shaped uh, 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 figures on the back of the tape. Yet Marcel insists that the markings on the material were something other than pieces of decorative tape on the balsa wood. He has since commissioned a replica of the debris that he witnessed. The strangest thing in, in the whole debris that I, the whole types of debris that I saw was the I-beam or the beam. Uh, it was a metal rod, uh, 12 to 18 inches long with the purple-violet hue uh, figures written along the inner surface. When I picked this beam up off the uh, kitchen floor, I looked at it and really didn't see anything too unusual until I held it up like this to get the light from the overhead light that was over my shoulder reflecting along the inner surface and that's when I saw the uh, these symbols. They were very faint and unless you held this up against or with light uh, they would have been easily missed. That was the last time the Marcells would speak of the debris for years. Uh, after we loaded the debris back on the car I went to bed, uh, my mother went to her room and uh, I did not see my dad for Maybe the next day, I'm not sure exactly how long he was gone, but uh, when he came back in, he was very serious about never describing this again. Treat this as a non-event, didn't happen. Nearly 40 years would pass before father and son would discuss their memories at Roswell. Shortly before he died, you know, I called, we stood, and the subject came up and I said, what do you recall those I-beams looking like? And he re-described again what the, the figures were. I, I said, what color were they? And uh, also they were purple, kind of a shiny violet hue. So that, uh, that coincides with my memory, too. I said, is there any possibility of any of this still being out there, maybe uh, under some rocks or something? And he says, no. Uh, his exact words were, they went out there and they vacuumed the place up. As one of the few remaining witnesses willing to come forward and discuss the event, Marcel believes he knows some of the truth about Roswell. He's also aware of the implications. It's something I'll never forget because it opened my eyes as to 
what's actually out there. Our solar system is just a grain of sand tucked away in an out-of-the-way place in a very ordinary galaxy. Oh, my God. In 1994, Showtime released an original movie based on Randall and Schmidt's book, UFO Crash in Roswell. In this scene, Major Marcel, played by Kyle MacLachlan, is shown the field of debris by Mac Brazel, played by Dwight Joachim. You know those Japanese balloon bombs? Yeah, made of rice paper, about 30 feet in diameter. Yeah, that's right. They don't come apart when they land unless a bomb goes off. They can see chart marks everywhere. Right. Was this gouge here before? Nope. Even with what UFO researchers consider an overwhelming abundance of evidence, the weather balloon story persists. Uh, there's certainly no evidence that balsa uh, wood and, and uh, uh, aluminum foil uh, are the sorts of things that spacecraft would be made of. So I, I, think, I think it's highly probable that, uh, that uh, our balloon caused that incident. It's a preposterous explanation that makes absolutely no sense. The documentation does not corroborate what they say, and yet uh, too often the news media and the skeptics say, oh yeah, it's Project Mogul, uh, case closed. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The question of what crashed outside of Roswell is almost equally as intriguing to researchers as the mystery of what happened to the remnants of the wreckage. After the original carload of debris was taken to Roswell Army Airfield by Jesse Marcel, orders were sent to secure the remaining material at the Foster Ranch. The balance of the debris was heavily guarded at Roswell Airfield, while some, accompanied by Marcel, was flown to Fort Worth to be inspected by General Ramey. It is well documented that wreckage was sent to Wright Field, which at the time was the Army's center for top-secret technological research. This is where captured German and Soviet military hardware was dismantled and studied. Many believe that this was where the initial work was begun to attempt to reverse engineer the recovered alien craft. There is also evidence that within hours of the initial reports, a satchel of the material was flown to Washington for a briefing with President Truman. Why was the material handled under such high security? And why would a routine recovery require the immediate attention of so many high-ranking officials, including the President of the United States? A new generation has grown up since the Roswell incident. 
Some of the people you would most expect to be excited about Roswell are the people who call Roswell home. Curiously, many of the town's residents say they've never even heard of the 1947 incident or that it's of no concern to them. What? And I tell my husband, what is this? And he's from Texas. And he says, well, I've already heard about this years back. And I just never had heard about it till, like I tell you, two years ago. I just ignore it in my life. I can't even get on the phone when they, when they say, let me have your address. And I say, Roswell, New Mexico. And they just tell me, oh, that's where the UFO landed. You know, just kind of, oh, I guess. <laughs> I've heard of it, but I don't believe in it. I think it's just like a bunch of stuff made up and stuff. Well, Roswell's my hometown. I've lived here all my life, like I tell you, and this is great, but I'm just not into it. So who are the ones asking the questions? Surprisingly, many of the strongest voices speaking out about Roswell are not New Age eccentrics, but are from the scientific community. Stanton Friedman is a nuclear physicist who has worked on advanced aerospace technologies and nuclear power plant systems for companies such as General Electric, Westinghouse, General Motors and TRW. Bruce Maccabee has been a naval optical physicist for over 20 years and has been personally researching the subject of extraterrestrial intelligence for the past 25 years. Lee Shargel is a materials scientist who has been a consultant for both NASA and the Department of Defense. These scientists are convinced that what crashed at Roswell was from another world. To fully investigate a persistent mystery as intriguing as Roswell, researchers endeavor to consider all possible explanations. In the case of Roswell, there is still the question of whether the crashed object could have been something other than a UFO. My inclination is to believe that it was a um, Air Force or Central Intelligence Agency balloon project and that there was an initial attempt to cover up uh, this intelligence program. John Pike is director of space policy at the Federation of American Scientists. I'm extremely skeptical that it had anything to do with extraterrestrial intelligence uh, because for one of their vehicles to crash implies a fallibility on the part of their technology that's simply inconsistent with the reliability that one needs to build starships. Or could it have been a classified U.S. project? Aerospace engineer Ron Ray spoke with us at Edwards Air Force Base. Yeah, the possibility exists uh, back in the 40s that uh, because there, all this new technology came out of Germany, we had scientists from uh, Germany that uh, either we were testing uh, uh, new advanced concepts to us at the time, these rocket engines, which were, were brand new to us, uh, or this was uh, some kind of uh, smokescreen, if you will, to hide uh, or to put the uh, Russians off guard, make them think we were further along uh, than we really were. And uh, there's been, a, you know, a history of misinformation uh, on both sides trying to uh, keep each other off guard. And that very likely is, uh, is, is one of the possibilities. Uh, if it wasn't Roswell, we're probably doing it some other place. But researcher Don Schmidt doesn't agree with either explanation. The debris field, as you'll see in some of the shots, is open pasture. It's visible for miles from the air. In fact, Kevin Randall and I have flown over the site on two separate occasions. You can literally see for almost 50 miles. Now I can assure you, 
that if there was anything that had gone off course, anything that had been lost, that was of top secret nature, they would have found it before anybody. Let's just suppose Los Alamos or White Sands launched some ultra-experimental plane, rocket, whatever. They'd be out looking for it. Maybe they are, maybe they can't find it. That happened. Sherman, look around you. What do you see? I mean, what do you see geographically? This place may be remote by car, but not by plane. You'd have to be blind not to spot this from the air. Nobody's found anything because nobody's out looking. And that means this ain't ours. All the explanations that have been offered for the Roswell crash, whether it's a balloon of any kind, a V-2 rocket, airplane accident, experimental aircraft, all of those explanations failed when you started talking to the witnesses and getting the eyewitness testimony and the descriptions of what they had seen. With all that we know about the circumstances of the Roswell case, it is puzzling as to why more people who were here 50 years ago don't come forward now and tell their stories. Could it be that those who have been keeping their secrets for all these years are still afraid to talk? There was an element of fear in this whole thing from the beginning. Many that were involved at Roswell, including Frank Joyce, knew the possible dangers right from the start. And he said, our lives will never be the same. That's his exact words. In a small desolate town during a much simpler time when business deals were sealed with a handshake, a rancher's word meant everything. The possibility of ridicule resulting from claims of little green men in flying saucers was real. So it's certainly understandable that many residents might not have spoken of the events of early July 1947. But why wouldn't those who carried a burning story with them not come forward today? Everything that has to do with UFOs or super technology or extraterrestrials has been placed into an aspect of uh, everybody that believes in that is crazy, that they're all nuts, that they've, uh, they belong in mental institutions. And so uh, the legitimate military and aerospace uh, basically say, well, you know, you belong in a rubber room or the men in the white coats are going to come and get you. So there's always been a... Um, uh, like I said, a, a laughter curtain, a, a, a ridicule that anybody that, that purports to believe in this or to have seen it or to film it or photographed it or researched it is, uh, is purposely put up to ridicule. One witness that has asked to remain anonymous explains why he hasn't come forward until now. I have children that could possibly be hurt by this. Um, they're also residents. I also have... Uh, several legal matters that are pending that uh, uh, some judge might not look favorably upon me if I stand up and tell them that I did definitely know that something crashed out there. But that could be twisted and warped in a court of law, sir. Dee knew those involved and the ramifications of them having told their stories. I know of people who said they were threatened and I know several of the ranchers in that area were told to stay away from that area and if they had picked up any of the metal or any of the uh, wreckage as souvenirs to return it or they'd be prosecuted. If a flying saucer was recovered at Roswell, as many believe, then what happened to it and its crew? Metallurgist and author Lee Shargel spent years working with advanced flight systems and technologies, including NASA's Hubble telescope and the Navy's Super Arbac missile system. 
Now, Chargill is revealing what he believes to be a piece of Roswell crash debris. It's a piece of a vehicle that didn't originate on this planet. Chargill says that the material was given to him by a woman whose father was a pilot stationed at Roswell Army Airfield at the time of the crash. After authenticating her background, Chargill subjected the object to both metallurgic and chemical analysis. We found out that it is made of homogeneous, 100% pure aluminum. You can't get 100% homogeneous, pure aluminum. The only way we believe that that could be made is in an environment under extreme pressure and no gravity, in the vacuum of space. Chargill is adamant that the technology did not exist in 1947. Using computer-aided designs, he created a three-dimensional model that leads him to suspect that the object was part of the spacecraft's engine. I think it is a type of containment valve or flow valve used in a superconducting magnetic drive. It's coated with a thin layer of glass that, and it has uh, what I believe to be extremely uh, curious dielectric properties. And it probably was a valve that operated with a series of valves to allow the flow of a material like liquid nitrogen or some very cold liquid that was used to surround a magnetic core. If that explains what happened to the wreckage, what about the ship's occupants? Over the past few years, various film clips and photographs have surfaced that were purported to be actual images of recovered alien life forms. Investigators have scrutinized all footage and photos that have come to light, and so far, no pictures have been verified as being genuine. The incident at Roswell can be explained by one of three possibilities. It was either a downed weather balloon, a crashed alien spaceship, or some top-secret military project gone wrong. And every investigator who has researched the case says it was definitely not a top-secret military project. So we're left with two choices, balloon or alien craft. What do you think? If it was a balloon, why do eyewitnesses describe the wreckage as something not manufactured on Earth? And why did the military treat the material as something far more important than balloon debris? The idea that an extraterrestrial craft may have crashed here in Roswell challenges some of our most fundamental beliefs. Are we alone in the universe? Or have we indeed been visited by beings from other worlds? In 1965, radar detected something in the skies over Edwards Air Force Base in California. Recently, some of the recordings of the conversations during the incident have been declassified. Hello, uh, this is Captain Clark, Alpha Lima. Okay, uh, Captain Clark, uh, let's agreed. Yeah. Uh, we have some confirmed reports of uh, some unidentified flying objects here area. Okay. Approximately six or more uh, from Edwards. Uh, they're just south of Victorville. They're moving slowly and climbing slowly. They're red, white, and green flashing lights. Uh-huh. And uh, they have been confirmed on radar. Uh, 
These excerpts from the audio documentary Edwards Air Force Base Encounter, compiled by producer Sam Sherman, are proof to many that UFOs do exist. Three more of them. Well south and dim. Okay. And well, I still see a red light occasionally out of one of them. Where are they from that big bright one? Beneath them and just a little bit south. And there's three of them almost in a straight line. Uh-huh. I don't like to be the only one saying these type things. <laughs> Uh, I still have a contact out there. Oh, you do? Visual? Yes. Look at all these objects. They look the same as the rest of them? No, this one uh, just appears to be a flash, not, uh, not any red or green spot. Oh, I see. Could be something else. All right, I have Alpha Lima in sight now. Yeah, he says he's got a contact, 12 o'clock 16. That's it. Some believe that the earliest reports of UFO sightings date back hundreds, if not thousands, of years. Certainly in this century, the notion of distant space travel and contact with exotic beings from other worlds has been a captivating and entertaining subject in popular culture. The pervasive paranoia of the 50s was reflected in frightening depictions of invasions from outer space. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. Washington, London, Paris, Moscow are key targets. The whole world is under... Motion pictures and TV shows portrayed flying saucers and their pilots as sinister enemies to mankind. While images such as these appear laughable now, at the time they represented disturbing possibilities of disaster resulting from alien contact. With some notable exceptions, contemporary attitudes thankfully tend to be more hopeful. Recently, part of Nevada Highway 375 was renamed the Extraterrestrial Highway, welcoming any and all alien visitors. Most people, when they look to the sky, see friend or foe, not me. I see intergalactic tourists. Many point to a variety of mysterious phenomena as evidence of the presence of extraterrestrials. Crop circles in the UK are often claimed to have been caused by alien beings. Likewise, they have been blamed for many unexplained instances of animal mutilation across the United States. And while there has been little physical evidence to prove the claims, thousands of individuals have reported being abducted by extraterrestrial craft. UFO debunker Philip Klass feels that none of these claims offers substantial proof of extraterrestrial visitation. In 30 years, more than nearly 31 years of investigating mysterious UFO cases, I have yet to find one, not a single one, that cannot be explained in down-to-earth or prosaic terms. Scientist John Pike tends to agree. I think it's clear that tens of thousands of people every year see objects flying in the sky that they can't explain. Uh, I think that it's equally clear that upon investigation, most of those sightings have relatively prosaic explanations, but a small percentage of them remain very difficult to explain. When you do the math, it's fairly clear that life, civilized life, should be very abundant in the galaxy. Space flight isn't that difficult, so the question is, why aren't those advanced civilizations already here? Because we certainly don't seem to see them here.
could it be that in this amazing universe, 100 billion galaxies, each with hundreds of billions of stars, this is the only star that has an inhabited planet? I mean, it seems like the height of human arrogance, but that's not proof. The only way you really find out is by looking. For over 30 years, scientists involved with SETI have been scanning the heavens for signals from other worlds. Everything we've learned in our modern studies of astronomy, of biology, of evolution of life, have showed that the steps which led to our being here, including our high technology using civilization, are completely normal steps in the evolution of the star and its planets. And therefore, the steps which led to our existence should have occurred in many, many places, and therefore there should be many technology-using civilizations in space. Regrettably, the U.S. Congress cancelled funding for SETI, but the search still goes on. Lee Shargel believes a different NASA project may be the means of contact. We sent Voyager out in space, and Carl Sagan and other scientists, Nobel laureates, fought vehemently to put that gold plate, that record album, on the side of that probe with the images and sounds of what the essence of human culture is. Why did they do that? Because they hoped that someday some extraterrestrial race would find that probe, retrieve that record from the side of it, see the diagram, learn how to play it, and understand who and what we are, and see the map of its trajectory, and follow it back to this world. And they thought, well, maybe it'll be 10,000, 30,000, maybe a million years from now. But someday they would discover that. Why did they do that? Because they believed in the possibility that extraterrestrial life might be out there. Now think about that in reverse. What if they did it to us? Would we say, oh, it's ludicrous, it could never happen? How could we make a statement like that when we ourselves did the very same thing? Suppose they're sending probes out into space and one of them may have inadvertently come here and maybe one of those probes had within it the life forms of that other world. Those who study the phenomenon of UFOs are convinced that the government knows a lot more about alien life than they even come close to admitting. For years, both civilian and military pilots have reported observing mysterious objects while in flight. Astronauts Gordon Cooper and Frank Borman have publicly announced their encounters, and yet no official announcement. And, and it's interesting because the denial has actually gone from uh, the original Condon report in the 1950s that said UFOs aren't dangerous, but people who see them are. So it's gone from everybody that sees them as crazy to, okay, we'll investigate the phenomenon to now there's nothing to it, to now it being, well, we can't confirm or deny. So in other words, the military is now saying, we can't say that there isn't something, but we can't say there is something either. So you'll notice that even the level of deniability has actually swung in an arc that's more towards favoring the truth. I am here to discuss the so-called flying saucers. The Air Force interest in this problem has been due to our feeling of an obligation to identify and analyze to the best of our ability anything in the air that may have the possibility of threat or menace to the United States. In pursuit of this obligation since 1947, we have received and analyzed between one and 2,000 reports that have come to us from all kinds of sources. Of this great mass of reports, we have been able adequately to explain the great bulk of them. 
however there have been a certain percentage of this volume of reports that have been made by credible observers of relatively incredible things. It is this group of observations that we now are attempting to resolve. Responding to ever-increasing awareness of the situation, the Air Force launched what they called Project Blue Book, implemented, they said, to investigate the UFO phenomenon. Project Blue Book was the third name for the Air Force's publicly known UFO investigation. Uh, by previous names, it goes back to January 1948 and continued until December 1969, almost 22 years. Uh, it was headquartered at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. It accepted UFO reports from government people, from the general public. It collected over 12,000 reports and it was charged, obviously, with explaining every single report it got. The techniques it used were sometimes so unscientific as to make you wonder what was going on. But when it closed down and the files were first sent to the Air Force archives and later to the National Archives here in Washington, there was still almost 600 reports admittedly unexplained. There were two or three times that many reports claimed to have been explained but weren't. But these are the ones the Air Force said they felt they had enough information but couldn't come up with an answer. It was as if unexplained was an explanation. You explained some as balloons, some as airplanes, and some as unexplained. And that was the end of it. This was definitely not a scientific study. It was a public relations effort. Only a fool would say that there is no possibility of life elsewhere but on Earth. Yes, there must be life out there, but I must say that we on Earth have not seen it yet. None of the arguments made by a very small group of debunkers, noisy negativists as I call them, people like my college classmate Carl Sagan, against the first two conclusions, stand up under careful scrutiny. The arguments sound great until you look at the evidence and they collapse of their own weight. The evidence is overwhelming that planet Earth is being visited by intelligently controlled extraterrestrial spacecraft. In other words, some UFOs, underlined some 20 times, are alien spacecraft. Most are not, I don't care about those. Hello, I'm Patrick McNee. We're talking about Roswell and the incident of 1947. The crash outside this town ignited the passions of those who insist that what landed here was a spacecraft from another planet. If the remnants recovered were from an alien craft, they say, then the reason we haven't been told about it is simple. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. The government is keeping the details of the incident a secret. I really think the story here is not something crashing here so much. 
The story is that our government, which is supposed to, you know, have an open society, clamps the lid on something using tactics that are very questionable, that are constitutionally questionable in my opinion, and getting away with it. Within hours of the original press release, samples of the debris were sent to Fort Worth. There, General Ramey posed for pictures with Jesse Marcel and pieces of a weather balloon that Ramey claimed came from Roswell. What was brought through the hangar, through the building and loaded on the airplane was not the same material. It was not a weather balloon. They tried to kill every last word of it. They didn't want anyone to know anything about this, not even a thought. While at Roswell Army Airfield, Glenn Dennis witnessed what he believed to be the wreckage of an airplane crash. He was immediately detained for questioning, then threatened by military officers. When I turned around, there was another captain standing there, and he came up and he tapped me on the shoulder, and he said, uh, don't go in and start a bunch of rumors. Nothing's happened out here. There's a crash or anything else. And, I, and he said, you'll get in some trouble or something similar. I don't remember the exact words of it. Anyway, he was, I didn't like his attitude. And I said, I'm a civilian. You can't do anything to me. You can go to hell. And that's when he really punched me a little bit. And he said, somebody will be picking your bones out of the sand if you do. And that was the only time when I was ever threatened. There is a cover-up. After many years of investigation, I'm certain that there is a cover-up as far as Roswell. Not by the U.S. Air Force, not by the U.S. government, but by those people who falsely claim that the government is covering up, they are the ones that are withholding key information from the public. Aviation historian Philip Klass believes that a declassified letter to the Pentagon by Wright Patterson, Lieutenant General Nathan Twining might be evidence disproving the Roswell cover-up theory. Here is a letter written by Lieutenant General Nathan Twining on September 24th, 1947, in which he says, the phenomenon reported is something real and not visionary or fictitious. But what you never see or never here quoted is a later paragraph in that same letter in which General Twining says, due consideration must be given to the following. The lack of physical evidence in the shape of crash-recovered exhibits which would undeniably prove the existence of these objects. This letter alone, that comment alone, disproves Roswell. And because of that, Writers of books on Roswell, producers of TV shows, intentionally omit any reference to that. Not all researchers believe this letter disproves a cover-up. There's no doubt there was a cover-up. General DuBose, who was the chief of staff of 8th Air Force in July of 1947, told us flat out that the balloon explanation was a cover story. In 1990, DuBose was interviewed at the age of 89. Under hypnosis, he recalled the events of July 1947. 
was in fact the story that we were told to give to the public and the news and that was it. General DuBose also said that he was not supposed to discuss this event with uh, General Ramey, the commander of 8th Air Force. There was talk of, a, of some elements that had been found on the ground outside of Roswell, New Mexico. Uh, the, the debris or the elements were to be placed in a suitable container and Al Clark, the base commander at, uh, at Carswell, would pick them up and hand deliver them to McMullen in Washington. And that was, uh, and that nobody, I must stress this, that no one was to discuss this with their wife, me, with Rainey, with anyone. The matter, as far as we're concerned, was closed as of that moment when that was it. Why not if it's just a weather balloon? Even if it's a balloon assigned to the top secret project mogul, there is certainly nothing in the balloon arrays or some, some, nothing in the equipment that requires that high level of security. Why create this, this, this massive cover-up to do that? To fully understand how a story as extraordinary as that of a crashed flying saucer could be kept secret, we need to return once again to early summer, 1947. Four long years of fighting had ended victoriously for the Allies. With the surrender of Germany and Japan, the nightmare of World War II was finally over. To every subordinate that has been in this command of almost five million Allies, I owe debt of gratitude that can never be repaid. The troops returned home, and America was getting back on its feet and coming to terms with its new position as a global superpower. In the late 40s, New Mexico was a proving ground for the most awesome weapons the world had ever seen. With the onset of the Cold War, fear of communist aggression became a national obsession. It affected every facet of life in America. Can answer that question if we have to stay here for a week. Are you a member of the Communist Party? Or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? I have told you that I will... All right. Far from New Mexico, 1947 saw the beginnings of McCarthyism and the witch hunts of the House Un-American Activities Committees. Stand away from the stand. for the Bill of Rights which you are to destroy. During World War II, Americans had become well accustomed to the concept of national security. Every citizen was drilled on the importance of vigilance and silence, and this situation continued as the Cold War heated up. Nowhere was this more true than in New Mexico. Across the state, top-secret military projects and operations demanded cooperation from private citizens as well as military personnel. If people were told not to talk about something, they knew to keep their mouths shut. Classified defense projects in Alamogordo at the White Sands Missile Range and at Los Alamos made New Mexico a hotbed of secrecy. The entire region was in a constant state of alert. 
In Roswell, the 509th Bomb Group was at the time the only military unit in the world with nuclear capabilities, having been responsible for dropping the first and only A-bomb used in war. As an officer stationed in Roswell, Walter Hout knew how important secrecy was. You've got a different frame of mind back in 1947. If we were told to do something, we did it. We didn't ask why. Uh, basically, you, you didn't have a need to know. Somebody knew why you were doing it, and it passed down the chain of command, and when it hit you, you were the grunt that did the work, and that was it. In post-war America, the attitude toward the government and figures of authority was still one of trust. This was still an era of innocence and acceptance compared to the decades that would follow. Former Roswell radio personality Frank Joyce articulates the difference. Something else you got to remember, that was a different era than now. You didn't have the complex society that we have now. You did not have... Uh, TVs, cameramen, as we have scheduled here, a news reporter like yourself with a backing of all sorts of people and all the best equipment in the world to report everything that happened. So when a, uh, when a statement came out on the newswire that simply said it's a weather balloon, people were inclined to believe it. In 1947, the Vietnam War hadn't yet happened, nor had the 60s and the era of rebellion. Watergate wasn't even a hotel yet and the Iran-Contra affair was 40 years away. People still tended to believe in their leaders and what they said. If an official statement came out saying a flying saucer was really a weather balloon, it was much more likely that people would accept the change in story without further thought. Those who are convinced there's more to Roswell than just a weather balloon are determined to get answers. But getting through to the fortress of information is not an easy task. While UFO researchers claim the federal government keeps the truth about Roswell locked tightly away, it is the goal of these researchers to extract official information. Using procedures mandated by the Freedom of Information Act, investigators have been chipping away at what they see as a fortress guarding the secrets of hundreds of UFO encounters. Stanton Friedman, the researcher who first spoke to Jesse Marcel in 1978, says getting answers from the government is not so simple. Many people think that it's easy with freedom of information, this magic key that unlocks all the doors. All you gotta ask, you get anything you want. Nothing could be farther from the truth. You have the right to ask. They don't have to reveal because there's a page full of exclusions. And the major exclusion is national security. Anyway, we apply under Freedom of Information, the NSA, we want these 18 UFO documents. All we have is a list, basically, dates. No, gentlemen, we can't release anything. National security here. We're going around in circles. So we try a legal ploy. We ask that they submit the documents to the judge so he can determine whether they are properly invoking national security. They provide him none of the documents, but a 21-page top-secret affidavit justifying the withholding of the documents, which he gets to see in chambers. He was so impressed with that that he ruled in their favor. He said that uh, the public interest in disclosure, which he recognized, was far outweighed by the potential danger to the security of the United States should this information be released. National security and flying saucers. We filed one of these wonderful, magical Freedom of Information Act requests for the affidavit. 
and we got it. We expected a little censorship, and you know, it's not too surprising that there's some blacked out stuff. But then it gets so darn heavy, and it's truly laughable. You're telling me there's no cover-up? 75% blacked out. There is no question whatsoever that agencies of the United States government are withholding UFO information. Now, if he asked, do I know what it is they're withholding? Well, when I see it, I'll know. But certainly they're withholding the story about the Roswell crash. Former Command Sergeant Major Robert Dean was assigned to Supreme Headquarters Allied Powers in Europe, where he was exposed to highly classified operations and information on a daily basis. Since leaving the military, he has formed Stargate International, whose goal is to educate the public on the reality of extraterrestrial presence. It's easy to lie to the American people. Lying in government has almost become institutionalized in American government. I'll give you a small example. About a year and a half ago, NASA at Houston was circulating an in-house document to the personnel at Houston on how to avoid the Freedom of Information Act. They were telling their personnel literally how to lie to the public and to the media. So secrets can be kept. The lid has been kept on this one for well over 50 years. And it's quite easy to lie to the American public because they don't do their homework and they don't pay attention. Other organizations, such as the Mutual UFO Network and Citizens Against UFO Secrecy, were formed with similar goals. But Washington, D.C., based Operation Right to Know, is taking a different approach. Elaine Douglas believes that highly visible demonstrations might broaden public awareness. Operation Right to Know started in 1992. Since that time, we've had 14 demonstrations. And the reason we do these demonstrations is simply to get people out there in public on the street saying the truth. We're striving to have what we call uh, open hearings. We want them on C-SPAN. We want the doors to be open. And we have asked Congress individually in many cases to grant us congressional immunity for violating our security oaths so those of us in the old boy network can tell the congress congress can tell the congressional representatives can tell the people what we've seen and what we've learned even though public awareness is greater than it was even a decade ago the support of elected officials is slow in coming but i do believe we're making progress Thanks to the work of people like Congressman Schiff from New Mexico, questions are being asked. We've got a number of senators who have privately stated that they're with us in this issue. So we are making some headway. I, I'm a little impatient because I'm getting older by the day and I'm not going to be around forever and I'd like to see it happen now. While assertions of government cover-up are handily dismissed by skeptics as nothing more than the rantings of paranoid sensationalists, it's important to consider the track record of the past few decades. Since the earliest days of this nation, the American system of government has been designed to serve and be responsible to the American citizen. Yet for the last 30 or 40 years, there has been a steady erosion of trust in the country's leaders. The reason? A repeated surfacing of incidents of dishonesty by government officials. 
Beginning in the late 40s and 50s, the federal government sponsored a massive program to test and develop atomic weapons. Cold War fear created an urgent need to perfect weapons of mass destruction as part of the strategy of deterrence. It was not until 1994, however, that it was learned that many radiation test subjects were not even aware of their exposure to harmful levels of radiation. The revelations resulted in public outrage and congressional hearings. But I must say that uh, slipping radium substances in however small doses to unsuspecting, uninformed, and unconsenting citizens smacks of an evil that cannot be dismissed. It is no accident that prisoners, the soldiers, and the elderly were used for testing effects of radiation. These members of society were not fully enfranchised and lacked control over their lives. In the 1960s and early 70s, the war in Vietnam spilled over into Laos and Cambodia. Bombing campaigns were carried out by the military, while the public and press were kept in the dark. In the 80s, arms were sold to support the Contra anti-communists in Nicaragua, in violation of US law and without public knowledge. God bless America. I happen to believe that this nation needs to be able to conduct deniable covert operations. I believe that this president, like all presidents, needs to have a, an ability to dissociate himself from those activities and that the U.S. role should remain hidden or deniable and not be revealed. And more recently, it was learned that beginning in the 40s, black soldiers were used as human guinea pigs to study the effects of syphilis. Most shocking is the revelation that the test subjects were never told and were not treated even when treatments for the disease existed. It's no wonder many doubt the honesty of government officials. How paranoid is the belief that the government would withhold knowledge of extraterrestrials? Well, after numerous private and official probes, what does the government say Roswell was? And does anyone believe the answer? The recent uh, study by the Air Force, which culminated in their official report in uh, July of 1994, uh, the background of that report included a very large investigation into the possibility of other objects having crashed or fallen at that particular time on the ranch at Roswell. It was examined from every conceivable point of view and the answer is positively no. There, there was no other possible uh, source of that debris. Retired Air Force Colonel Richard Weaver was assigned to head up the government's 1994 investigation into the Roswell incident. The impetus for the Pentagon starting its inquiry into what happened was to be responsive to a general accounting office request that was generated by Congressman Stephen Schiff of uh, New Mexico. Uh, Congressman Schiff had requested the GAO to conduct an audit of what was uh, veiledly uh, named balloon crashes and airplane crashes, but it was obviously what they were looking for was something to do with Roswell. The Air Force responds to all GAO requests. They answer them all. They provide all the information. And this was just another GAO request that we responded to. About September of 1993, maybe, maybe October, I talked with some uh, officials at the General Accounting Office um, who I was seeing on some other matters and I told them about this and asked them if they would undertake uh, uh, an inquiry for me. And what I asked them for 
was not to recreate the Roswell incident from scratch by trying to interview everybody. After almost 50 years, I don't even think that's probably possible to do anymore. I asked them to help me find the government documents that would have existed in 1947. And if they don't exist anymore, what happened to them? I do have to add that there has been at least one change since uh, I began all this, and that is that the uh, Department of the Air Force, uh, through the Secretary of the Air Force, issued an instruction to all agencies to fully cooperate with the General Accounting Office. And I was glad to see that change of position on the part of the Air Force because they quite clearly were not fully cooperating with me when I first contacted them. And what answers did the Air Force investigation yield? According to Weaver and his team of researchers and analysts, there was nothing other than a weather balloon that could have crashed at the Foster Ranch. We considered a number of options going into it, and, and those are things that we explored. For example, could this have been an airplane crash, whether a regular airplane crash or an experimental airplane crash of some type? And the answer was no. Could this be in a nuclear accident since uh, at that time the 509th bomb group at Roswell was the only people in the world that had nuclear weapons? And the answer again was no. Could this have been a uh, missile crash from uh, White Sands, an errant missile that had somehow uh, got off course? Uh, and the answer again we found was no. And we considered could this have been an extraterrestrial event uh, of, of some proportions? And again, the answer we found was no. While many believe that the government is still covering up the true story behind Roswell, Colonel Weaver believes that his investigation was completely unbiased. We went into the whole study uh, with a real open mind, and I say we, there were scores of people involved. This just wasn't myself or Captain McAndrew, whose name is also usually linked with this, but scores of people uh, who were involved in the research. Uh, we went into it with an open mind and with no presuppositions of what we would find. Former NYU weather balloon engineer Charles Moore was the technician responsible for releasing the balloon found by Brazel. The balloon that we think was recovered on the Foster Ranch was launched on the, about 3 o'clock in the morning on June 4th, 1947. We launched our next flight on uh, about the same time of the day uh, on June 5th. That was the one that was recovered east of Roswell. And when the balloons came back to ground after some of them burst, they dragged across the ground and they shed pieces as they went. But there was not, there was not a crash uh, as far as we could determine. It was just a gentle landing that the wind then dragged the remaining balloons that were inflated across the ground. Uh, since uh, uh, this has come back to light, uh, I've gone to the National Climatic Data Center in Asheville, North Carolina and have been able to get the wind data uh, for that day, for the whole month of, of June 1947. And uh, it's possible, I have calculated a trajectory that would have exactly landed the balloon on the Foster Ranch. Colonel Albert Trukowski was the project officer in charge of the New Jersey-based Mogul Balloon Project. He concurs with the finding of the Air Force report. He suggests, however, that there was no need for the recovered debris to have been escorted by armed guards. Although the purpose of Project Mogul was top secret, uh, all of the equipment that was used individually uh, and collectively was unclassified. Only the purpose of the use of that equipment was security classified, and the equipment was certainly expendable. We did, uh, there, there was no reason to use it again. 
There, there was no such thing known as a Mogul balloon because at first we used ordinary meteorological balloons. There wasn't anything about the balloon that would merit special security of the balloon itself once it was launched. Congressman Schiff, along with many researchers, believes that this very point is a hole in the weather balloon theory. There seems to be no doubt that um, uh, these materials, uh, when picked up, don't seem to have been treated like they were parts of a weather balloon. These materials were flown out of New Mexico under, uh, under armed guard by military police. Now, weather balloons are not normally shipped under armed guard. What appalled me is they issue a report saying that uh, we have gone back to our records, we looked at our records, and we discovered in 1947, we lied to you, we said it was a weather balloon, but we've now discovered that it was a uh, weather balloon. There has been much speculation regarding the possibility of the crash having been another U.S. government top-secret project. I would guess, and I, and I have to say I'm purely speculating right now, I would have to guess that if it was not a weather balloon in 1947, that perhaps there was some kind of classified military experiment from the White Sands Test Range or some other military facility in southern New Mexico that in fact crashed and was found. And, and in 1947, the government was unable to say what it actually was and therefore said it was a, it was a weather balloon. Don Berliner disagrees. There were certainly top secret airplanes flying around, but mainly flying around California. There were certainly rocket tests going on. Uh, there was even one uh, converted, captured German V-2 rocket that went astray and landed in Mexico. Uh, they didn't keep it secret. They went public with it right away. Uh, nobody was hurt. Uh, and so if this had been such a thing, there would have been no real reason to keep it secret, even at the time. So the Air Force would probably be bragging about its super airplanes or rockets, not concealing them. One other theory about Roswell has surfaced in recent years. Is it possible that both the flying saucer story and the balloon explanation could have been a smokescreen to distract the Soviets from our secret Cold War military programs? We're investigating the 1947 Roswell incident. Was it a secret military experiment using weather balloons? Or was it a crashed UFO? And if it was an alien spacecraft, why would our government keep this information secret for 50 years? Is the truth something we should fear? There has long been speculation about the government's motivations for withholding information that ETs have indeed visited our planet. Ufologist Sean Morton has done extensive research work on the topic of government cover-ups at Area 51 and Groom Lake, Nevada. He believes that there is evidence that dates back years. In 1962, the Brookings Institute published a white paper for NASA. And in that white paper, they said that within 30 years, that NASA would come in contact with either extraterrestrial archaeology, a la the, uh, the face on Mars or the, pyramid, the pyramids of the Cydonia site, or many of the artifacts that we found on the moon, uh, or we would come in contact with extraterrestrials themselves. Who knows what it would be like? Um, I don't think we're prepared, any of us, uh, if, if it were to happen. But uh, I think it would be a transforming event in 
in human history. Scientist John Pikes's views seem to concur with those stated in the Brookings Institute report. There are a lot of reasons the government might want to cover up the fact that it was in contact with an extraterrestrial civilization. It can destabilize our society and political system, call into question religious or economic beliefs, and it could get a lot of other governments on this planet very nervous about what sort of advantage we were getting from our contact with the aliens. The report also warns of the conquistador syndrome where many cultures have disintegrated after coming into contact with others of greater knowledge or power. Some say that our government of the people, by the people and for the people has no right to keep this information out of public reach. Others, however, feel that a cover-up may be for our own good. Suppose they did find something within this that the knowledge of that would be so frightful that that in, in itself could disrupt our society. The Orson Welles, War of the Worlds radio show had that very effect. I'm extremely surprised to learn that a story which has become familiar to children through the medium of comic strips and uh, many succeeding novels and adventure stories should have had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. What Roswell's secret from 1947 could still be a threat to us today? Suppose there was something contained within that craft, some alien technology that could be used either for or against us, but its effect could change the course of history. Withholding it would prevent that change from occurring at that time. Maybe some technology that might alter our dependence on oil. Just imagine if tomorrow we didn't have a dependence on oil. We didn't need it anymore. We discovered some energy source, some engine, some power that relinquished our dependence on oil. What would that do to the economic system of the world? It would collapse overnight. Or could a recovered technology be used for strategic gain? If the government reverse engineer the technology from a starship in the same manner that the military might back engineer a rival country's spy plane, for instance, that government could stand to gain immeasurably. A number of technologies were either partially inspired or wholly inspired from what was recovered at Roswell. It's amazing that when you look at the profiles from both the sides and from dead on, how close to stealth technology and spy plane designs that the Roswell ship resembles. We firmly believe that she is the design Rosetta Stone and the holy grail for aerospace design technology. The issue to me is government accountability for what the government did. The, the government should make public uh, all of its records on this or any other subject, unless only there's a current real security need for them not to do so, and then the public can make up its own mind. The problem is, that uh, we, the people, don't want to know. Uh, we, sure, there's been a government cover-up, and people say to me, how could this be kept secret for 50 years? Well, the answer is, not without the wholehearted cooperation of the American people. So what would happen if aliens landed on Earth tomorrow? Would we welcome them as fellow intelligent beings, or would our own sense of superiority shatter and give way to fear and mistrust? The first test was the announcement of a tiny microbe 
in a little meteorite that landed in Allen Hills in Antarctica. That was a test of our society. How would we react to the announcement of life on another planet? And what do you think occurred? Society was divided right down the middle. Those on the one side said impossible, it couldn't be life. Earth is the center of intelligence in the universe. And those on the other side of the fence who said, ah, we knew it all along. I'm convinced that something has been here before and that something may be here now. We interrupt this program to give you a bulletin just received from one of our naval units at sea. A large object traveling at supersonic speed is headed over the North Atlantic toward the east coast of the United States. The only thing I could think of is that, that it would just cause such uh, pandemonium in the country. I mean, uh, a real scare. I mean, it's, you know, out of nowhere, all of a sudden there's alien life. It'd probably be freaked out. I think people would panic instead of acting sensible about it. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Well, here we are, some 50 years since the unfolding of either the greatest story of our existence or the biggest case of misinterpretation in modern history. What have we learned? Are there any answers to be found in this town or in the halls of Washington? Is this really the story of the millennium? On the 50th anniversary of the most widely speculated UFO incident in history, what did those involved do to usher in this milestone? A full week of live events at the crash site, of course, from rock bands to laser light show and even a 35-ton red rock monument erected to beckon the curious alien passerby. Some believe that all the hoopla overshadows what actually happened. John Bauer, the producer of the events, feels that they're very necessary to spread the Roswell word. It just creates more focus on the fact that something did happen in Roswell that has not uh, been truthfully communicated to the public, whether it's the American public or the public at large. And I think that truth has yet to be revealed. And as we celebrate Roswell more and create more attention to it, possibly we will uh, create the uh, mechanism for that truth to be told. Don't be totally snowed and turned off by all the, uh, the hype that goes on. Uh, that's a result of the fact that there really isn't a, a UFO industry out there now. There are many that still carry the 50-year-old memory of Roswell with them. Their hope is that as the years pass and new generations rediscover this most unusual occurrence, maybe a few of the scores of compelling questions might finally be answered once and for all. With witnesses aging and memories growing fainter by the day, researchers can only hope that they'll turn up something new very soon. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind that what crashed outside of Roswell was an extraterrestrial craft. That opinion is going to remain firm through the 50th anniversary and far beyond that. Four major conclusions after 36 years of study and investigation. One, the evidence is overwhelming that planet Earth is being visited by intelligently controlled extraterrestrial spacecraft. Second, the subject of flying saucers represents a kind of cosmic water game. That means some few people within the governments, United States, Canada, Britain, Russia, etc., have known since July 1947, when two crashed flying saucers and several alien bodies were recovered here in New Mexico. 
third, none of the arguments made by a very small group of debunkers, noisy negativists as I call them, stand up under careful scrutiny. The government, the believers, and the skeptics, could there possibly be more to the Roswell story? The Air Force has recently revisited the topic by issuing what they call their final word on the Roswell incident. In the report, the Air Force attempts to explain eyewitness accounts of alien bodies at the crash site as mixed memories from tests in the area years later. The report's conclusion is that dummies used in impact testing from high-altitude balloons were misidentified by observers as extraterrestrials. Is this truly the final word? Just before the release of that final report, the skies over the southwest lit up once again. On March the 13th, 1997, strange objects were observed by multiple witnesses in the night skies over Phoenix, Arizona. I believe it a serious offense for anyone, human, space alien, or otherwise, to engage in mysterious activity in our nighttime skies. Responding to public concerns, the governor of Arizona addressed the issue and with tongue planted firmly in cheek, announced the arrest of the supposed alien perpetrator. The object defied conventional identification and the Air Force has declined to make any official statement on their origin. I hope you've been able to shed some light on the enduring mystery of Roswell. One has to wonder, will we ever know the full truth about this case, or do we already have the answers in front of us? What do you think? I think it would be arrogant and borderline foolish to believe that there's no other life forms that exist out there. I not only believe, I believe that there are many different species of ships, there are many different species of extraterrestrials, and not all of them are up to good. I think that it's sort of the romantic side of me that likes to believe that there's something else out there, it's something better or wiser or brighter or whatever. The universe is so big, and there's so many worlds that must be on one of them or more, something that's alive. That could be, it's fun to think about it, exciting, what do you think? Have we been visited by other life forms from beyond our tiny corner of the universe? And if we have, can we handle the knowledge of their existence? I'm Patrick McNee. Thanks for joining us.